bum, bum, ba, dum, ba, 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 ba. Crime therapy. <laughs> so you made the noises this time. Excellent. It's not just me. Hello, everybody. It's Victoria. It's Chris. Where it's crime therapy. We're here together today to bring you some crime, some therapy, some thoughts, some opinions, some feelings, and a disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed on the show are solely for entertainment purposes. These views and opinions do not reflect the views of our employers and are not intended for legal, diagnostic, or therapeutic purposes. Don't do it. Don't try it. Don't think about it. It's only for entertainment. You you might think about it, but please don't do no. anything with that thought. Just think no. it's, a, it's an intrusive thought. It's just a worry no. thought. Like, but I... So. No, 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 no. I, I don't think you should even think about it. We are quoting our sources. <laughs> this is not like we we did not go out and interview people. We did not write these articles. We are reading and summarizing based on the links that we're sharing. Um, we are also just doing this for entertainment only and not in any kind of capacity related to our jobs as social workers or professionals at all. Yeah, this is no. this is basically how Chris and I would have hung out like prior to this and so. we just recorded it now yeah yes, exactly. it's just like more of like a book re- report kind of style like hangout sesh jam band because like it's i fine. mean normally i'd be like hold on let me google this because like isn't it like yeah. this case and then i'd be like wait victoria wait, wait. No, it's this. but i'd have wine in my hand and uh-huh yeah. mm-hmm. yes it's yeah. a little different a little a, a different uh, flavor i mean i would definitely have wine in my hand right now if i wasn't seven months pregnant but <gasps> you could <laughs> do like juice yeah, I was gonna say I, I thought you were gonna say like non-alcoholic wine, and I was like, absolutely. Oh, that sounds torturous. Actually, no. not funny, but funny. Um, my where was I? Where was I? Was it Massachusetts? Yeah, I did. I was bad. I I I had my second COVID shot. I was you know in the so anywho, I went to go see my friend who is pregnant. Um, and she is like very far along. We discussed the parameters, social distancing, blah blah blah. Anywho, because she's just like you know like. I'm pregnant and I haven't seen anybody. I know, but I feel weird even just saying it because I felt like really guilty even like leaving my house. So I'm just like, Um, but anywho, long story short, turning around, she has this non-alcoholic beer that she pulled out one night. I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It tasted like, like a beer. And I was like, huh? Yeah. Nope, 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 nope. And it, it probably tastes like thing. a Pilsner, right? It probably tastes like a Bud Light. Yes. But I don't want that. I've never, ever been like, God, I love this Bud Light. The, I mean, I oh, like, like Corona Light, Light, but like, oh, was it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love Bud Light. And I do like Corona Light. But but here's the thing. I do not need to drink anything that tastes like beer that doesn't have alcohol in it. That's a fair line to draw in the sand. That's a fair one. Like, okay. absolutely not. See, I think because I'm not like a drinker typically anyway i'm like it might just be you know my taste buds are like what the sharp intense taste anyway no it's like decaf coffee why do people fucking drink decaf coffee i don't understand i should drink decaf I mean, okay, coffee. Okay, okay. as a pregnant woman i've been doing sometimes i'll do like a half calf of something because like i i'm gonna drink a big one and i need to make sure it's like doesn't have you can have under like 200 milligrams a day i try to do less than that um but like also, a lot of people will frown on pregnant women still drinking caffeine, even though it's, like, fine. But but I don't understand as, like, a normal human being being, like, I would love a cup of coffee that's decaf right now. I'd be like, huh? Why? I mean, I like the taste of it, but I'm also like, you know, why don't you want the caffeine? What? My little brain is, like, 
you would say no to caffeine. I don't say no to caffeine. I think it depends on my if, where my anxiety is at that day. If I'm like oh, really buzzing, yeah, like <gasps> yeah. well, I, mean, then I then probably any shouldn't. But do you even drink a decaf? Because I don't really want decaf coffee when I'm like stressed no. out. Yeah. No, no, my default is more. <laughs> Give more caffeine. <laughs> oh no, I mean, Chris, okay. you know me. I was the one that was drinking like Trenta. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I like, know. I know. I, chugging the damn shit so like I, my budget and my caffeine intake has very like steeply declined since the move but whatever life is life right because i have to be like adam can you pick me up a duncan because it's so far away it's not so far away i just feel like okay, inconvenience it was like, what, it was like a quarter of a mile from your house and like a mile yep. from my house yeah i know i know now like, I'm like, i don't want to get in the car to go get a coffee even though i also would never make my own coffee at home i just the idea of someone else making it for me even though i've seen them in the window like put the thing in the cup put the coffee and like the um yeah. the sweetener the cold brew the whipped cream on top i'm like I could do that. And then as soon as I like try to do it at home, I'm like, I can't do that. Like, no, it's not, you totally it's can. Same. You totally it can. It doesn't have, no. it doesn't taste the same. It doesn't like, doesn't, I don't taste the, like, I the, didn't have yeah. to make it. <laughs> no, I mean, that's true. There are certain things that I feel like I can't replicate, but coffee is not one of them. Like and when I do my um, instant coffee, I'm like, yeah, this is not quality. And I don't ever think it is, but like sometimes I'll get like, you know, they have those Starbucks cold brews in the jugs uh-huh. you can buy from the store. Oh. And like, and I'll do like some like uh-huh. chocolate syrup or something, almond milk. I'm like, yeah, I got an iced mocha. Like, you're not, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No, okay. you're right. Yeah. You're right. But guess what? Spin team. Um, these are all places that, you know, you'd probably work at with your high school friends. I have definitely How worked you... actually Baskin Robbins, and I worked at a coffee shop. Did you like that? Did you like that? Yeah, that was a good transition. Nice. Yeah, we're so, going to our high school murder cases now. Hell yeah, we're bringing it think... back to high school. Wait, versus high school, I don't actually think mine is high school because my girls were twelve. But no, we're talking Mom. like turning in middle school, maybe at middle yep. school. Yep. Or junior high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yours might be a little bit sad. Mine's it's all sad. Well, actually, mine is less sad because spoiler Mine's alert, weird. no one dies. But oh, it then is, you're fine. It is horrific. Yeah. Ooh, then I should definitely stay the course and go first. You go first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll end I'll end on it. So I'm gonna go over my sources really quickly. I got a lot of stuff from ABC News. I got actually a big part of this from YouTube. The YouTuber's name is Kendall Ray. She covers, I guess, a lot of true crime related cases. Um, a lot of stuff from Newsball, um, which I had never heard of before, but apparently they took a very special interest in this case. Uh, Psychology Today, more YouTube, APA.org, uh, simplypsychology.org. Psychology Today, Wikipedia, 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 L. Ooh, L.com actually came in real hot with the article um, that covered a lot of pieces and parts of this case. So the case I'm actually going to be covering is 16-year-old Skylar Niece. And holy smokes, that is definitely a wowie. Didn't really see that one coming for a lot of folks in the community. So, woo. So, speaking of the community, we are talking about Morgantown, West Virginia. More specifically, a little bit outside of that area in an area called Star City, West Virginia. Um, so, background. So, we have Skylar Niece, who is 16-year-old. Like I said, her parents are Mary and Dave Niece. And Skylar is their only child. <clears throat> 
So Skylar is their pride and joy. She is their one and only. And Skylar actually goes friends with uh, Sheila Eddy. And they were considered best friends. They were considered inseparable. They they were like two peas in a pod. Sheila and Skylar actually met as children in the community. But based on the way the school districts were, um, they were actually able to attend the same high school at a later time in their freshman year. So Dave, the dad, actually made a quote, had a quote, Sheila didn't even knock on the door when she came over. She just came in. Like, that's how close these girls were. Like, they were together. They were with it. I just want to say I never, ever, ever have ever had any kind of relationship with somebody where they could just come in unless I knew you were coming over. Like, don't knock if I know you're coming over because my dogs are going to bark. But, like, I don't care how much I love you. If you just show up and walk in my house, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, that kind of sat. I don't know. But, like. I know for my for like Poppy, like when we were kids, because we lived right around the corner from each other. But I know I typically knew she was coming, or she knew I was coming over. I Nothing like could, surprise. Were your parents okay with that? Because my parents, w- I mean, and I would if I, my kid was like just a random kid walked in, I'd be like, "Hey, friend, like you got to knock." Like, oh, hey, buddy. well, they knew they were coming. Like, oh, Poppy's coming oh, over oh, in five, oh, and she would come like, in. Okay, and then you can yeah. come in. Okay, okay, yeah, because again right around the corner like oh yeah yeah. if i know you're coming acceptable but i do not like people randomly showing up and i don't like people just walking in i remember as a kid my parent my our next door neighbors made the joke like oh just come on over and my mom was like "Uh uh-huh sure and they were like do you need like a written invitation and my mom was like yes yes Yes, Yes, i I do (laughs) yep no no i don't just stop by people's houses that's weird yeah so that's the relationship sheila and skylar had though and then yeah, it was. It sounds nice. It sounds. It sounds nice. Mm-hmm. And then during their freshman year, they met Rachel Showoff. So the girls became a trio, and they were kind of seen as this like inseparable group. Like people knew that that was the trio, that was the group. They were the friends. Um, however, as teenage girls do, time went on. And leading into their sophomore year, Rachel and Sheila were actually becoming much closer, spending more time together, and Skylar was actually beginning to be left out on purpose and you know that kind of yeah this happens right i think we've all experienced this yeah so i'm gonna do the timeline so there are gonna be spoiler alerts about like the case because i'm actually doing it in chronological order um so you're not gonna get to the end of me like and they did what back then that just made it too complicated for my brain to process so we're just gonna do the timeline so taking it back we're going to july 4th 2012 and the day prior so july 3rd 2012 skylar was left out of a social get together with rachel and sheila um so rachel and sheila got together they decided to not include skylar they were kind of purposeful about that they were like "Uh uh-uh and skylar actually ended up tweeting about being left out and was moping around the house skylar actually tweeted i really don't miss those days of just like social media tweeting aim Green save okay, away, okay. like abandonment. Have, but okay, okay, I have Facebook stuff because I think I've had my Facebook for like fifteen ever. years or something. <laughs> yeah, and um, I have like these things, these memories that will come up, and it'll be like Chris hates today, and I'm like, delete. I don't want to be reminded of how I felt when I was like twenty. I'm uh-huh. or like when I was seventeen. Jeez, uh-huh. Louise. Yeah. yeah, I'm so depressed. Delete. Bye. Does anybody love me? Delete. Uh-huh. Like, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the vibe you're getting from here, right? So Skylar actually tweeted, it doesn't, it really doesn't take much to piss me off. She also tweeted, sick of being at fucking home. Thanks, friends, in quotes. Aww. Love hanging out with you all, too. Like, you can feel that. You can feel, like, that rejection, that shame, that kind of, like, ugh. 
Also, I feel like if it was me, I'd have my own shame. But like for her, I'm like, that really sucks. And yeah. she was like really pissed. Oh, poor thing. Yeah. And then the day before she was killed, Skylar actually tweeted, you doing shit like this is why I can never completely trust you. So you know that Skylar, Rachel, Sheila are having this discord. You know Rachel and Sheila are kind of getting closer together. So you get the sense of like, okay, things are rocky. Things are not great. But again, it just seemed like, looked like just friend dynamic issues, right? Like we're just shaking it up. Well... On July 5th, 2012, at approximately 12.30 a.m., Skylar climbed out of her bedroom window, crossed the street, and got into the back of a back seat of a four-door sedan. Officers later determined that the sedan was Sheila's. The three girls then headed northwest from Star City towards Blacksville, Pennsylvania. They eventually arrived at their destination just across the Pennsylvania state border at a spot where the three girls would occasionally smoke marijuana. So it's it's a known spot. This is something normal for them. This is not like an abnormal outing. Um, but, you know, again, it's late. It's 4th of July weekend. They probably just thought, like, we're going out, we're hanging out. Or at least Skylar probably thought that was what was going on. So unknown to Skylar, Sheila and Rachel had been planning Skylar's murder for months. They left Sheila's house prior to picking up Skylar with kitchen knives, paper towels, bleach, cleaning cloths, cleaning, clean clothes, and a shovel. <sighs> right? And then they hid the knives under sweatshirts they were wearing and hid the remaining items in the trunk of Sheila's car. Once they were out of the car, the girls told Skylar that they had forgotten to bring a lighter. Skylar being like, I'm with the group, I'm with my friends, volunteered to go back to the car and get her own lighter. Once Skylar had turned her back, Rachel and Sheila actually began to count to three, their agreed-upon signal. Rachel and Sheila then began to stab Skylar. Skylar attempted to run, but was only able to make it a few feet before Rachel tackled her into the ground and continued the attack. During the attack, Skylar managed to wrestle Rachel's knife from her hand in an apparent attempt to defend herself. She actually cut Rachel's knee in that process, so that will come into play a little bit later. Sheila continued to stab Skylar until there was complete silence. I'm not going to tell you how many wounds there were, but just it, it was not a one and done. Let's just put it that way. This was like very over the top, like excessive force. Yeah. Afterwards, Rachel and Sheila attempted to bury the body, first dragging Skylar to the side of the road, but the soil was too hard and rocky to dig a hole, which had been their original plan. They instead covered Skylar's body with rocks, fallen branches, and dirt. Rachel and Sheila then returned to the car to clean themselves and the murder scene. Afterwards, Rachel and Sheila left the scene, disposed of their blood-soaked clothing, and returned to their homes. In the morning, Skylar's parents went to go wake Skylar up. Because she's working, she's supposed to go to work, like, we're going to check in. However, when they looked in her room, it was clear she had not been there the night before. So that's every parent's worst nightmare, right? Like, not hear anything when you knock on the door, not hearing that rustle, looking in and not seeing, not seeing the bed moved or anything. Just, what is happening? This is not right. (sighs) So they were like, okay, like uh, maybe maybe something happened. Maybe when they went to go, she would go stay somewhere else, whatever. But when Skylar actually failed to show up to her job at Wendy's, which not like her, she's a responsible girl. She was like, on top of it. She actually liked having a job, making money. That's when Dave and Mary began became worried and called authorities. Skylar was initially considered to be a runaway by law enforcement authorities, and an Amber Alert was not immediately issued in connection to her disappearance. 
This was in reaction to surveillance video from the apartment complex that Nee's family lived at where Skylar was getting seen getting into the car willingly. So again, that four-door sedan that Skylar kind of ran into, they were like, oh, she's a runaway. She left the house on her own accord. She was not forced. So it didn't meet the criteria for filing an Amber Alert. The family was adamant that there, this was out of character behavior. It was not correct line of thought since Skylar did not have this pattern of behavior, like I said. And she didn't take essential items, like things that would be very obvious, like contact solution, phone charger, her security blanket, which is known as goodie, um, clothes, her hair straightener, et cetera, et cetera. So like the, the basic stuff that someone, a runaway, would probably take with them, still there, not taken, not disturbed. So time goes by, there's no real leads to go off of. So authorities come back to Sheila and Rachel, who said they saw Skylar last. Sheila and Skylar's mom said that they went for a drive, um, got high, but dropped Skylar off at the end of the road earlier than the footage showed. Sheila would call often, ask for updates, and would volunteer to canvas or put up flyers and posters looking for Skylar. Based on the lack of movement and the increased in level of attention on the case, the federal FBI actually, the FBI actually joined the search for Skylar Neese. And then based on preliminary screenings, there was concerns about Rachel and Sheila's behavior. It was noted in kind of police interviews with her that she, Sheila was kind of seen as narcissistic, a little flirtatious, kind of inappropriate with the detectives, the police. Um, so they were kind of like, something's off with you. Rachel, on the other side, was not cooperative. She didn't want to do kind of interviews. She she was also like very good at re- sounding like very rehearsed in her story. So Rachel was one side of the spectrum. You know, Sheila was another side of the spectrum with reactions to this. So authorities started to look at social media more closely for clues and just to kind of see like what in the world was going on with these girls and specifically Skylar's journal. While Skylar hadn't actually written in her journal in over a year, the journal illustrated the dynamics of the triangle. A lot of the diary seemed not jealous of Sheila, but emphasized Sheila had a lot of guys and she could do what she wanted. That was a quote. And so Skylar wrote about Sheila's sexcapades, Officer Jessica Colbank noted. There was one entry in particular that stood out. On August 21st, 2011, Skylar detailed a night at Rachel's house where the three girls raided Rachel's mother's liquor cabinet. Quote, they all got drunk and Sheila and Rachel proceeded to make out. The entry described that Skylar was locked in the bedroom with them and afraid to leave because Patricia, Rachel's mom, would find out they had gotten the liquor. Two weeks later, Skylar tweeted, I tell the whole school all the shit I have on everyone, which is a lot. Hashtag, I was about to say, quote, hashtag if I could get away with it. I, I, I got, you know what I do sometimes when you're talking is like I Google so I know what you're talking about. (laughs) And it is so wild. Also, I mean, I think everybody should Google this while you're while you're talking because the pictures of these girls a the ones of the three of them are heartbreaking because they just look like normal teenagers just like you know doing normal teenage stuff you're like that those girls would never do something awful to each other and then this other one came up and it's i think i can't tell if it's them or if this is like a movie version of them but they're smiling in their um in in their yeah in their prison yeah 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 where the girl with the curl hair, the curls in her hair, like got to like blow yeah. out. Yes, yeah. that's Rachel. Oh I'm, no, I'm sorry, that's Sheila. That's Sheila. Yeah, but smiling like in her mugshot, yep. like yep. yeah, like huh? her hair looks like it would look like when I do my hair before I go out. 
Yes. And I'm going to talk about that because that was one thing that was really interesting when, (laughs) spoiler alert, Sheila got arrested. She talked about how she couldn't be photographed right now. Like she didn't look right. Like people are going to see her and they're like, you're being arrested for murder. Like, what are you talking about? She not understand. I I mean, I sometimes like, I don't know. You know, I think kids and teenagers don't even understand. Yeah. I don't think that was it on this one. So I'm going to explain Okay, okay. Oh, it's manipulation. Okay, okay. Yes. I I get more of that flavor from the case. So it's around the time when public, actually, the public, because, you know, Skylar's missing, they have no leads, they're like, what the hell's going on? The public is starting to become really interested and invested in the case, and theories start to circulate around the area. Like, the whole Rachel and Sheila are a couple, so they got rid of Skylar story. Maybe, you know, Skylar overdosed on something, and, like, that's what happened to her. Um, maybe she ran away. Possibly she was abducted. Maybe there was human trafficking. But, like, all of these, like, pretty um, attention-grabbing, salacious kind of stories were starting to really crop up. And it actually got to the point where this case took national attention. So it, it was kind of wild. So, again, the rumors that were kind of popping up were something that people were paying attention to. But also the family just wanted answers. So a lot of the cases that seemed plausible, the family was just like, even if, like, Skylar overdosed, can someone just tell her where her body is? Like, can we just get some kind of information about what happened to our daughter? Because so there was the, nothing. What is the timeline right now? So we are walking from – so it happened July 4th weekend. We are walking into winter time. Oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah. so this is going on for months and months. Yes. Yes. Okay. So – we're turning that corner into winter 2012 into 2013. So again, like the um, November, December time going into March of 2013. So that window of time, keep that in your brain. So around winter break, Rachel and Sheila began to ha- be homeschooled rather than to return to high school because, again, the rumors were there. People were just like treating them very differently. They, it was just not good. So then on December 28th, 2012, a 911 call was placed um, regarding Rachel. So Rachel's mom actually called stating, I have an issue with a 12 year old, a 16 year old daughter of mine. I can't control her anymore. She's hitting us. She's screaming. She's running throughout the neighborhood. Um, and you can actually, like, I heard the 911 call. You can hear like someone screaming, like wailing, like in the background. Like it was like very intense. Um, Patricia went on to say, my husband's trying to contain her. Please hurry. And then Rachel was actually admitted to um, a mental health facility in the area to get treatment. So this is where things start to break down because now Rachel and Sheila do not have contact. They do not have this connection. And Rachel is clearly having a break. She's like, could it be from guilt? Could it be from the stress of it all? I don't know, but turn in that corner. January 3rd, 2013, Rachel went from the hospital to her lawyer's office. Her father had called the U.S. attorney's office and told them she was willing to talk about it if they could work out a deal. The first three words, and this was a quote from the, like, the officials at the time. The first three words out of her mouth were, quote, we stabbed her. Oh, my God. Yeah. So according to Rachel, Sheila and Skylar were always fighting. Like it, it actually got to a point where, and, and Skylar kind of, um, Sheila actually kind of found it funny. So there was a time where Sheila and Skylar were fighting and like Sheila called people to like have them listen in to a fight between the two of them. Cause she just like found it funny and like whatever. Um, 
so in the spring of 2012, after the spring break trip that Rachel and Skylar took together, Rachel and Sheila were in a science class joking about killing Skylar. And then over the next month, they devised a plan that they'd carry out before Rachel left for camp. So they were kind of planning this thing about, yeah. After Rachel made her confession, she then led the authorities out to the murder site to find Skylar's body. The snow was knee deep at that time, so Rachel couldn't locate exactly where they'd left Skylar's body. And an officer associated with the case came back later to the site and found what appeared to be human remains. So all this is happening. Rachel's helping them. Sheila knows nothing. Sheila has no idea that they know. Sheila's not a... So on the morning of March 13, 2013, the U.S. Attorney's Office publicly announced that the human remains were found in the wooded area of Embrave, Pennsylvania, belonging mm. to Skylar Nice. Sheila, still keeping up appearances, pretended to be devastated over the news that her friend had been found, tweeting, quote, rest easy, Skylar, you'll always be my best friend, um, end quote, with a photo montage of her, Skylar, together, and tweeted, worst day of my whole life, end quote. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so again, Sheila doesn't know that everybody knows, and they're trying to, like, catch her now. So in spring 2013, when authorities were building their case against Sheila and worked um, to move the girls from a juvenile to adult status, so they were trying to do this work to kind of up the case um, intensity, they struck a deal with Rachel um, so in exchange for her cooperation and testimony about Sheila, Rachel would agree to plead guilty to a lesser charge of second-degree murder. Whoa. Ever the invincible teenager, though, April 1st, 2013, about a month before she was arrested for Skylar's murder, Sheila tweeted, we really did go on three. Why? What is she doing? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This uh-huh. is awful. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's why, like, that's why I don't think this was, like, a guilty human. I think she was, like, entire, like, I can get away with what I want. Like, Okay. I- so my, my case is similar, and I don't want to get totally into this, but I was watching a documentary on my case, and my first, my first thought was something was off about one of the girls, and it later came out that there probably was. But, I mean, when you hear these things, I'm like, I mean, at least for me, I, I don't go – I go, is this normal teenager behavior like this invincibility, not understanding consequences, whatever, but also like no remorse? I feel like this actually might suggest that something else is happening, right? Like this is diagnosable Uh, if you're not having, yeah. Yeah. There were things going on in Sheila's past, like her parents were breaking up. It was kind of a tumultuous thing um, at that time. So like there were things, but to this level, um, got more of an impression of like we're dealing with some personality possibly other kinds of things for both of them even like when Uh you were talking about was it rachel who was Mm -hmm. like throwing things and threatening i'm like you know is this like you know like conduct disorder or something or an oppositional is that fine rachel i the the way it sounds like with rachel it sounds like she was kind of hitting like i'm feeling guilty depressed suicidal kind of okay so she wasn't just attacking her parents no i think she was just having like a full-blown break wow okay because it sounded like she was very much avoid deflect deny in a i can't mentally grasp this and i think it just came to hit her and she just imploded 
Okay. So, because then she went to get the assistance, the help for that mental health breakdown. And then she kind of just, joop, I need to tell the truth. I need to get this out there. Like, even in the court cases, like when they were in the sentencing hearings, um, Rachel, like, is breaking down. She's apologizing to the parents. She seems very remorseful. Sheila, on the other hand, is very much, didn't say a word. Stone Cold Steve Austin, like, meh. Almost like, I'm waiting in line at the checkout. Like, but she, and <laughs> Sheila is the one that was friends with Skylar first, right? Correct. Before Rachel Correct. came as a, th- a third friend. Correct. Wow. Okay. Correct. Correct. Um, so, yes. So, on May 1st, 2013. Okay. So, we know that Rachel was working with the district attorney. We know that Rachel was kind of helping to kind of plan those things. She also was pleading guilty to that lesser charge, right? So, she turned mm-hmm. herself into the authorities. On the same day, um, which was May 1st, 2013, Sheila was arrested for the murder of Skylar Neese. So, Rachel pled guilty to the second degree murder on May 1st, 2013, and was sentenced to 30 years in prison with eligibility for parole after 10 years. And again, like I said, she did apologize to the family in court. The family was like, you can kind of suck it, which I completely get, but completely different sentencing hearing in comparison to she um to Sheila. Uh, because Rachel turned herself in and was labeled as an adult in the juvenile in the justice system's eyes, her identity was released to the public. But based on the fact that Sheila was arrested, she was considered a juvenile because it's not like she pled guilty. It's she didn't do any of that. She was just considered arrested. Um, so there, when the news went out, it said they had another suspect in custody. And because again, three peas in a pod here, everyone kind of figured out like it's Sheila. Wow. So on September 4th, 2013, West Virginia prosecutors publicly identified Sheila Eddy as the second alleged perpetrator of the murder of Skylar Niece and announced that she'd be tried as an adult. Sheila pled guilty to first-degree murder on January 24th, 2014, and was sentenced to life in prison for eligibility of parole after 15 years. Um, noted that since they crossed state lines, Pennsylvania was going to get involved with the prosecution, but to minimize that... Um, Sheila did enter an agreement with the state of West Virginia. So basically Pennsylvania was like, if you don't get it together, we're coming after you too. Um, So she was like, all right, whatever. So, and again, during sentencing, no remorse, no personal apology or expressed to the fans or family. She just, nada. So where are they now? I found this interesting just because I was very curious. Uh, Both women are actually incarcerated at the same facility, which is the, I'm going to say this wrong because I'm worried now, Lakin, Lakin, L-A-K-I-N, Correction Center in Mason County. Why, you may ask? Well, this is because in the state of West Virginia, it is the only prison in the state correction system that only female prisoners are held at. Prior to 2003, there was no single women's prison in West Virginia, and the women were scattered across various facilities. As a note, because I was going down a curiosity rabbit hole, there is a federal prison for female inmates in West Virginia, FPC Alderson, who have had some very interesting notable inmates associated with that location. So Lynette Fromm, a.k.a. Squeaky, from the Manson Family Murders, Elizabeth Flynn, who was the founding member of the ACLU, Billie Holiday, and my personal favorite, Martha Stewart, were all housed <laughs> in FPC Alderson in West Virginia. Oh, my I gosh. I thought that was funny. That so, is so funny. Mm-hmm. So changes in the law, just to kind of ripple effect after Skyler's murder, um, because the parents really went after this idea of no Amber Alert 
Um, so Skyler's disappearance actually led to a new West Virginia legislation that made changes to the Amber Alert missing child alert system. So an Amber Alert is, was not issued in Skyler's disappearance because the circumstances did not meet all four criteria for an alert to be issued. One, the child is believed to be abducted. Two, the child is under the age of 18. Three, the child may be in danger of death or serious injury. And four, there is sufficient information to indicate the Amber Alert would be helpful. I guess in this area, a waiting period of 48 hours had to elapse before a teenager could be considered missing. I think that has definitely changed. Um, But in West Virginia, a state legislator from the Neese Family Home District introduced a bill called Schuyler's Law to modify West Virginia's Amber Alert plan to issue immediate public announcements when a child is reported missing and in danger, regardless of whether or not the child is believed to be kidnapped. So where does it stand? It passed through the House and the Senate. It went to the governor who signed the legislation into law in May 2013. So that is my case. And I'm going to jump into my social work perspective, which is a little bit more lengthy than I'm used to. So I do apologize. But um, I was kind of very interested in this idea of relational aggression in women. So it kind of goes back to that idea of mean girls, like, and which is based off of the book Queen Bees and Wannabes, which is actually like a psychological read, not like a book book. So relational aggression is defined as a type of aggression that is intended to harm others through deliberate manipulation of their social standing and relationships. Relational aggression, according to Daniel Olis, is a type of bullying. Bullying in general is defined as a physical or psychological violent reoccurring and non-provoked act where the bully and victim have unequal physical strength and or psychological power. These key conditions apply to all types of bullying, verbal, physical, and relational. Bullies, despite being quite morally competent, tend to engage in morally wrong behaviors because of several reasons, including lack of moral compassion. In general, bullies seem to engage in kind of cold cognition and have good theory of mind. Theory of mind, for those that don't know, is the ability to attribute mental states, so beliefs, intents, desires, emotions, and knowledge, to ourselves and others. So, for example, if... I was to look at a box that said Smarties on it, open the box, find pencils in there, close the box. I was know that if Chris was to come in right after me, she would look at that box of Smarties and also think there are probably Smarties in there, not pencils. That's one of the um, famous cases that kind of helped to assess for a theory of mind. They also, bullies also have an average to good social intelligence. This was really interesting when I was reading these parts about bullies, especially with females. Um, because the idea of social intelligence doesn't necessarily mean people like you. So these skills seem to be especially important to order to use relational aggression in an instrumental manner for achieving specific social goals. Typically, female aggressive behaviors include excluding, ignoring, teasing, gossiping, secrets, backstabbing, rumor spreading. I like that. And hostile body language, for example. I oh my god! Yeah. Do you hear like like literally the whole time you've been talking? I mean, even when you're talking about like this whole little triad relationship too, I just think about my like middle school years. And honestly, I remember help? being so you mean help? <laughs> yeah, no. So like I I didn't like middle school, but also I was like so mean to this other girl who became like best friends with my best friend because I was so jealous and I just think about like how nasty I was to her and I remember like we were all like friends but I was so insecure and I remember I encountered her later and she was like you were so mean to me that year in junior high and I'm like I felt like such an asshole because I totally was but I remember just being like I wanted to crush her for like taking my friend away you know like 
Yeah. yeah. And that's part of this too, especially with, and I think I talk about it, but if not, I will make sure I say it now. That's the interesting thing, especially with relationship aggression that shows up not just in women, but men as well. Like relationships are really important and powerful and can help promote social status. So if people that you deem are valuable and important are seemingly being taken away from you or you find someone new who you feel like is going to help elevate that, you're going to do anything you can to kind of get to that like positioning. So that's why you might have somebody who are like, hmm. I know that you may not be a good person for me, but like you're going to help me to make sure that other people don't bother me. So we're going to just ride along here. It's like this case has so interesting. Like the entire time that you've been talking, I feel like my brain's just like, oh my Whirling. God. Yes. And then I'm like, uh-huh. even like when I'm like looking at these, these girls too, I'm like, what happened there? And then you see some of their pictures and one, the one girl, um, not, yeah, Sheila, Sheila's smiling in court, you know, yes. too, where I'm like, Okay, so is it just because like for me, not diagnosable, right? Like I don't, I I care about people. I feel like an asshole that I was mean to that girl. Yeah, but like she is smiling in court after murdering somebody. So it's not just normal aggressive stuff that's coming out. This is, you think maybe like another diagnosis too, but but it's getting highlighted or it's being uh, taken to the next level. There is a pattern of this behavior where appearance is important, relationship relationship aggression is shown, prioritizing, you know, sexual behavior. Even just looking at the girls, like the, the girl group, like Skylar looked a lot younger than the two other girls. So I don't know if it was just like she's not fitting in with us anymore. Like we're trying to be cool and edgy goodbye. And I don't think I mentioned it in here and I'm kind of kicking myself or not. But like when people would ask like, why? Like, why did you do this? Why? What happened? They don't have a clear answer other than we just didn't like her. You're like, dude, if you don't want to be friends with somebody, you don't have to be friends with somebody. Just say bye. We don't want to be friends with you. This could be a whole case study because I was reading and watching interviews of people in the community, in the town after this had happened. They were like, I don't even trust my friends. I don't trust people. Like it just, it was so interesting. The macro ripple effect of this case and how it was like a bombshell for this community and how interpersonal relationships in that school district were even like, I am terrified to be, because it wasn't like Sheila was just like with these other friends. Like she had other peer groups that she socialized with as well. So then it was just like, holy shit, like I can't trust her, which means who else can't I trust? So it's kind of like your brain is like alarming. But you, you always know. think like, I mean, I don't know about you, but like when I was younger too, we kind of used to take care of each other. Like you and your friend group, even like, you know, when we were being mean to each other or whatever, sometimes you'd like gossip or talk shit or mm-hmm. not be a good human yes. being as like a teenager. But at the same time, like if someone was going to like attack my friend or like if we yeah. were out in a place and somebody was like flirting with them, you'd be like, leave my friend alone. Or like, you know, creepy old man yells something at you outside and you're like, fuck off. Don't talk to my friend. Don't talk to my you friend. You know, like, no, seriously. Them. Right. I remember like that kind of stuff happening. You're like, like you're gross, you know? And like, you know, and even if I was like, dude, whatever. And like, I don't even, want, I shouldn't say it. The girl is really mean to her. One of her names was Serena. But I'd be like, like if I was secretly being like, Serena's a bitch. But like, if someone was mean to Serena next to me, I'd be like, don't talk to That's Serena you. like that. You know? yeah. 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 But like, this is next level. Like I, yeah, yeah, this is terrifying. This is exactly what you don't want to happen to your children. Like, yep. you don't want your kid to be betrayed to this drastic level by their friends. Or even a smaller level. But, God. but And that's the thing I think <sighs> that was so wild about this case. Like, it wasn't like, 
I knew the girl for one year and then, then ha- no, like they were yeah. friends for years. So it's just, what the fuck? So blah, 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 backing up, rewinding, where'd my brain go? Oh, how relational aggression shows up. Most common, most damaging. Actually, it's not most common. I apologize. Most damaging is turning the victim into a social undesirable. So it's basically saying, like, you're gross, you're ill, you're less than. And then that person kind of, you know, is now associating with that. So the behavior and the associated anger is hidden but often wrapped up in this package seen as harmless, like, just a girl's thing. You know, girls are going to talk about each other. Girls are going to gossip. Right? But the covert nature of aggression actually leaves victims with no forum, no group to kind of talk about this situation that had happened. And in fact, it actually attempts to defend oneself, leading to an escalation of the aggression. So for example, Chris, if you talk shit about me and I have no one to talk to, or if I do find someone to talk to and they're like, oh, you know, Chris, like she's fine. Like you're just being sensitive and you got that word back you're going to be doubly as a dick to me, right? So that also adds to this escalation of aggression. So that's like, And the isolation of the victim because uh-huh. now you're like double gaslighted you because yep. you're an external person confirmed yep. that you're just being a baby and I'm not why that can't mean. You, why can't you hang out? Like you just can't take a joke. What's that, Courtney mm-hmm. Kardashian? You can't handle those jokes so I just won't make those jokes around you. Like... <laughs> I have never heard that, and I hate that. Like, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Well, we'll Chloe, never I think Chloe I... said something to Courtney, like, the, that was really mean. That was not nice. And Courtney was like, well, then I just won't make those jokes around you. Like, if you can't handle it, then I just won't. And I was like, holy shit. Like, what the hell? So it was – and again, it's a clip of a clip of a clip. So, like, obviously, I hope there was more context to it, but I was just like, what the fuck? So, I mean, people are like this. this is, yes. It doesn't surprise me. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and this is where it comes back to that comparison between males and females, though, because a lot of times relational aggression tends to be thought about as just a female thing, but that's not necessarily true. Um, they are, it's comparison between male and female aggression is strong and, and has similarities. Motivation for both groups usually include desire for power, control, achieving greater social status, popularity, jealousy, fear, and derailing competition. Get the fuck out of here. Aggressive behaviors for both males and female children can be found as early as preschool age. It's most prevalent in adolescence and can, as the movies so clearly illustrate, continue well into adulthood. So this also talks about how, like, I think what movie was this referencing? This quote. Uh, it wasn't simple. I have a bees. What the hell? The help. So you remember how in, like, The Help, um, they had – did you see The Help? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, like, how a little girl was, like, being teased by her mom or, like, you do this, and then it kind of, like, they had a little social group, and they're still talking shit about, like, someone and that social isolation. That was what this was kind of pulling from, but I kind of circled it back in to make a reference in my brain. Um, Both sexes form social structures that lead to different members to assume specific roles and characteristics. So, for example, in a female group, the one with the power is, like, the queen bee and Mm -hmm. has her followers, right? So friends do what she wants. She's charming when she wants to be. She's manipulatively affectionate. She takes no responsibility for hurting another's feelings and defines rights and wrongs by the loyalty and disloyalty shown to others. She's usually one of the ones who decides who should be the victim. There's also a dilemma for those who feel helpless to help the victim of their need to not stir the anger of the queen bee and become alienated from the group. So effects of social aggression can actually be longer lasting and have more damage than physical aggression. 
since the weapons have stealth nature to them, there's less possibility of anticipating the specifics of an attack and fewer actions to defend against the attack, right? You don't, you can't defend against something you don't realize is like coming or hitting you or you have no like forum to support yourself. So the negative effects of particularly damaging, they're particularly damaging during adolescence when the importance of acceptance in a peer group is crucial. <laughs> and maximize, it says maximize, I'm saying crucial. It's like, no, but I mean, <laughs> I think the like the the opposite thing here too though is like I think I deal with this with a lot of my abuse victims too who who will also be like well I didn't get hit and I'm like yeah this is actually worse because it doesn't it's not as a clear bad thing and you can also start doing this gaslighting what we're talking about too where like oh she wasn't that mean maybe you shouldn't be such a little baby and this and then it back, makes you feel crazy yes. yes and it comes back to that hazing story we talked about right how I said you know some people who categorically did define that was hazing they did have that you know they would be considered a victim of hazing did not define themselves as such so it's just one of those things right where we are doing those mental kind of gymnastics like i said last time or time before whatever this gets aired that we as humans are trying to do things to take care of ourselves, but sometimes the odds are stacked against us and we are just going to get particularly fucked over. So adding to the pain inflicted on the victim is the lack of supports by adult who view the bully often as popular, charismatic young woman, but not necessarily liked by others as innocent of such negative behaviors. Thus, I like the word thus, the strong positive reputation of a bully makes it difficult for a, a victim to get validation of the bullying and causes a victim to suffer the additional pain of not being believed and not getting any support. So gaslighting on gaslighting with some more gaslighting. And by the way, you are 12, 13 and you, your hormones are fucking raging. So yeah. fuck. <laughs> so I'm going to turn it to Minnesota real quick. University of Minnesota researcher and psychologist Nikki Crick, PhD, had studied relational aggression for years. Crick, for instance, had published three studies showing that relationally aggressive girls display hostile attribution bias. I actually did psychoeducation about some this with somebody recently, which is the tendency to interpret events as a in a paranoid or aggressive manner. This is true for physically aggressive kids as well. But while physically aggressive youngsters... <laughs> show this tendency in relation to physical threats, relational aggressive youngsters do on, do so only in relational context. So for example, a relationally aggressive girl may overhear two girls talking about having a party and assume she's being deliberately excluded. So someone who's already walking in with this hostile attribution bias is already going to be primed for the fight, primed to kind of argue, primed to kind of be defensive. And that's just not, that's a recipe for disaster. Amanda Rose, who is another researcher, published an article in 20, 2004 claiming that the main purpose of using relational aggression in the first place is to enhance or maintain one's social status. Many skills that are needed to be popular are also essential for being successful at employing, employing relational aggression, aka the ability to read people and adjust one's behavior accordingly. Again, I think we've read studies, we know about the higher ups in, in, in companies, low empathy, high success productivity, but they're able to read a bitch. They know like what makes you tick, what's going to make you work. I may not give a shit, but I can actually get you to do what I need you to do because I have to maximize my profit. 
So this is where I started again, because this made my mind spin too. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And I wanted to go down the dark triad rabbit hole specifically with Sheila. Um, but I thought relational aggression was more appropriate and more applicable. However, I did want to slip this in. All three dark triad traits are conceptually distinct, although empirically evidence shows them to be overlapping. They are associated with a callous, manipulative interpersonal style. So hear these real quick and see if Sheila checks a box. Narcissism is characterized by grandiosity, pride, egotism, yes, and the lack of empathy. Machiavellism is characterized by manipulation and exploitation of others, an absence of morality, unemotional callousness, and higher level of self-interest. And psychopathy is characterized by a conscious antisocial behavior, impulsivity, selfishness, callous and unemotional traits, and remorselessness. Are we checking some boxes? Yeah, I was definitely checking some boxes there. I uh-huh. mean, I, I, the whole time you were talking earlier, I was like, oh, the manipulation. It's so interesting. And I mean, right. the psychopathy, like the smiling in the courtroom, like you don't feel guilty that you killed your friend. Yeah. Yeah. The selfishness, the unemotional traits, like I am possibly like, you know, toying with her parents and I don't give a shit. Like I'm going to put posters up. Where are you? We miss you. Come home. Like there was a t- point in one of the things I was reading where like, um, I'm like, all the names are coming to my head right now. Sheila posted a thing like, just come back. We miss you. We love you. And her dad was like, she'll come back soon. Like, it's okay. You, mm. you don't even care. I can't even believe that. That's I just cruel, 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 and yeah. a dick. Yeah. Absolutely. I well, think it's it's more than I'm going to get into trouble. It's I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm also glad that Rachel told on them because I wonder if they would have gotten caught if she had not. No way. I do not believe for one instant Sheila Eddy would have ever let that shit slide. Even if she ever got like cornered, I think she would have had a, a excuse for everything. Even when they were like... Well, you were the last one to see Skylar. So, like, what happened? Oh, well, we dropped her off an hour earlier at the end of the street. Like, no, it wasn't us. We just got high. Oh, like. That's so smart, though. Because uh-huh. then she'd be like, that's the reason that we weren't involved. You're like, yeah, yeah. That's the thing I'm ashamed of that I was hiding. I'm sorry. Like, that's what I was doing. Oh. There's wow. more that I know articles and things I went into talked about Sheila specifically and her kind of personality traits and the things she was bringing to the table so I didn't go in as much about it but very interesting case study if you ever want to like pick a break like she's going to be someone I imagine like down the line we're going to have case studies about to be like what the fuck is going on with you (laughs) it's so interesting like because I I, this is the case I was telling you that I was I was telling Alex like was making me so sad because and also you had brought up the idea of doing like maybe a teenage murder and those really bummed me out because I feel like they oftentimes are the friends luring people oh, or, yeah. like, or the ex-girlfriend invites the ex-boyfriend and then he gets jumped and murdered. And you're just like, I hate that because that I betrayal. Feel, yeah. I feel like over the age of 18, you're probably looking at a spouse or a partner under the age of 18. You're looking at friends. Well, <laughs> like, sometimes there, there's another case and I cannot remember the man's name or the, the child's name, I guess. I think he was like 16 and they broke up or like mm-hmm. even recently, what was the one that there was oh, somebody who put on, who was like on snapchat she said i will pay somebody to like stab him or something and he was a teenager and she said i explicitly said i didn't want him killed i just wanted him stabbed and jumped and it's like 
I mean, it's like, even when I'm admitting like how shitty and mean I was sometimes in junior high, I'm also like, I couldn't imagine not having guilt or even like as an adult now where I'm like, I feel so bad. Like, I hope I raise my children to be kinder and like not victims, but like, I hope my kid is not going to be a perpetrator of any kind of like bullying or anything because it's just so, oh my God. Kindness, empathetic, like, but assertive. Like, I will help you, but please do not fuck with me or we're done so. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. but then you have little ones out here that are like, they have no empathy. And you're like, how did that happen? How come you don't feel bad? I don't know. But luckily, it's not us. No, it's not us. We're done. And that. That is the case of Skylar Nice. Okay. That was amazing. Okay. So uh, I kind of. I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was like, I got him. Sorry. Like, it was super comprehensive. Do... No, I'm going to try to go really quick for mine because I. Oh, I... I'm sorry. Do you just no. want to, like, are we like, do we want to just no. like make this a weird split up one? No, I'll do mine in like, I'll do mine quickly because oh, mine I'm is sorry. very similar. No, no. My God, you're, this is like one of the better episodes I've ever like listened to. I'm literally like, I, while you were talking, I was like Googling stuff. It was like, my brain was going. Yeah. I went down a deep dive on this one. This one was like, woohoo, like for me. Awesome. So, okay, I covered the, the Slenderman killings. I had some stuff from uh, Yahoo, Wikipedia, ABC News. I'm actually going to quote a lot from that article. Crime Museum has a thing on it. WebMD, I I quote some stuff from them. The Mayo Clinic and Psychiatric Times. So, on May 31st, 2014, uh, 12-year-old Peyton Lautner was stabbed 19 times. So, she also goes by the name Bella, but this is something to... Yeah, I just wanted to start with that. 19 times she was stabbed. She was stabbed by two of her other 12-year-old friends um, who had previously, yeah, they spent the night. Um, 12? You know, oh, 12. no. I'm going to I'm gonna self-disclose. I know next to nothing about Slenderman case. So I'm kind of interested right now. Sorry. Go ahead. My no, bad. No, no, no. No, no, You're great. So um, these other two girls had developed two other plans prior to actually stabbing her the next day. The night before, they had gone to a skate rink, and then they had planned to stab her while she was sleeping at the sleepover. Yep. And then they had planned to stab her while they were at the park, and they were saying that it was going to be easier to stab her, I think, even like the toilet or in the sink so that her blood could go down the drain so so this is pretty in-depth and then they end up actually stabbing her um in the middle of the woods after they're playing a game um 19 times they leave her to die they tell her to remain calm because then she's less likely to bleed out like that's when the girls tells her they said they're gonna go find help they don't go find help they're actually found walking five miles away later in the day um and then bella actually crawls out after being stabbed 19 times and stops a cyclist. She, yeah, she ends up saving what herself. What the hell? Like, that makes me think of that girl in the 70s, like, with the, who had her arms cut off, who was just, like, getting out. That is that is some tenacity. Why? What is her name? Rizzo. Mary Vincent. Yes. No. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. I will yes. Google as you Vincent. do. Mary Vincent? Yeah, I think so. But anyway, so... So they find the girls, you know, they've walked five miles away. They're super calm and collected. And then they say that they were told by Slender Man that they had to kill somebody to be worthy of living alongside him. Yep. Oh, I can't hear you. Did you just? Oh, 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 sorry. I said, ew. And that, yes, you were right. It is Mary Vincent. Yeah. No, I mean, so the, the, like another survivor, right? Saves herself. Mm -hmm. But okay. So they say they, they actually end up being, 
um, interviewed. So this is where I'm going to start kind of quoting this ABC article because I tried to do a summary, but like some of the quotes were just so good. Basically, they say they take the, two, the girls into separate rooms. They say that they're both very, very calm. And like said, for one of them, the girl's name is Morgan Geyser. They describe her as it seemed like it was a normal day for her. She actually asked the police if her if Bella was dead. And then she says, quote unquote, I was just wondering. Yeah, oh, sweetie, sweetie. Yeah. yeah what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then she goes on to say, I might as well just say it. We were trying to kill her. And she explained that they attempted to murder um, Bella because Anissa was talking about some person that they had to try to appease. She made it seem like it was necessary. And then she says, quote unquote, this is going to get me arrested, isn't it? Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, see, it this is. is, and I I had to quote all of these things. I really tried to summarize it, but like I just wanted you to understand what was happening. So, um, oh my God, I also forgot to mention I watched the Slender Man movie, which is a documentary on this case. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I was saying I was watching some of these interviews, and I immediately went, "Oh, something's wrong here," because you you see her and she's just kind of discussing it like matter of factly, like. Oh, this is just what happened. Like, okay, so quote unquote, I figured that I'd get into trouble eventually, though, because mommy always says that whatever you do catches up with you eventually, and it did. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I know your face, right? It's pretty horrific. Like this whole thing is going on. So, the so the two girls that attacked her, Anissa Weir and Morgan Geyser. Um, they had apparently been planning this for months. So Morgan implied that Weir was the one who took the lead in planning. And she basically said that she didn't really understand what was happening. Um, but they also are quoted as saying, you have no idea how difficult it was not to tell anybody. We would all be together. It was a flawless plan, actually. They would talk in public and they made sure they whispered. They used code words like, quote unquote, knife. We used cracker for the killing. We use words like itch. So I'm going to use a cracker on that itch. Like what? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't no. even put that together. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I would yeah. pull them apart for a separate. I'm sorry. You're going to do what with the what? <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, oh, okay. No. I just wanted to share more of the descriptive stuff too. Like this is the way I went with this because I think this article really summarized what I was witnessing in the movie too. Um, so anyways, so we were saying that they brought her into the woods. This is when they were going to kill her and they said that they were going to play hide and seek. And then this is a quote. She was going to hide in one place and I was going to hide in another. And then Morgan and I were going to be like lionesses chasing down a zebra. I was going to tackle her and then Morgan was going to do the stabbing. Yeah. So I started walking away. And then like when I was five feet away, I said, now I'm going to go like ballistic, go crazy, make sure she's down. And then she was kind of asked like what she did. And then she goes, quote unquote, I already told you stab, 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 stab. It was weird. I felt no remorse. I thought I would, I would, I actually felt nothing. And then, um, she actually asked the police where Bella's body was and police revealed she was at the hospital. So the quote here is, I know she'll never trust me again. And she hates my guts. Ah! 
think it's going to be more than that? <laughs> actually, actually, you know, it's really interesting. So I was going to, this is what I was going to summarize and end this whole thing with, but I'll tell you right now, this actually, this young woman who was stabbed 19 times, um, she actually was told like that she was millimeters away from dying. Like that if the knife had gone in any differently, like she actually would have bled out. And then she literally said that she wanted to thank them basically because now she wants to pursue a career in medicine. Yeah. So let's talk about just some divine intervention. Let's yep. talk about being the biggest person, like bigger than me. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. 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 Where is her GoFundMe page? Cause I will yeah. donate to that cause <laughs> no, right I mean, away. It honestly sounds like she's doing really well. Like she was even asked about like the scars and she was like, I think eventually they're going to fade more. And like, it's just amazing. Like, I don't know. I mean, she, I, I don't know. I'm really impressed. It's just somebody you can tell that wow. she has good support too, because the way that she had like the resiliency that she expresses here, especially because th- this is a similar situation where she had been friends with like one of the girls previously and then the other one joined. But it seemed like the other two girls who planned this attack were definitely a little bit different. And that, you know, this one fella actually maybe like I had kind of hypothesized that she probably would have left this group like in the next Mm -hmm. year or so. Like it didn't feel like this was going to be her group any longer. And I kind of wonder if that's how they identified her as like the different one. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so when when they're looking through um, and they're finding evidence, I mean, like both of the girls like admitted to everything. Right. Like and they're pretty in line with each other. Like. They're basically saying, like, she stabbed them, but she planned it. So they're looking through, like, the guys or home computer. Thousands of searches came up. Like, and these are quotes, too. How to get away with murder. What kind of insane am I? Yeah. So it's definitely clear that, like, Morgan was the one that was kind of driving the whole thing. But then Morgan is also diagnosed with early onset schizophrenia. And it's, which is like super, super, super uncommon. And this is the thing yeah, I'm going to talk about. Yeah, that's, that's weird. Yes, yes. Okay, so my social work perspective is I, I don't do things with schizophrenia or any kind of like schizoaffective disorder. It's not my um, specialty and it's not something that I'm super comfortable with. I don't think I could uh, appropriately treat it. But I would say that I do know for a fact, and this is something I looked up, it is extraordinarily rare to diagnose somebody. So it's it's diagnosed usually in children under the age of 13. Some sites I was seeing said 12, but mostly it seems to be 13. It is diagnosed here. So the worldwide prevalence of early onset schizophrenia, like which is symptoms prior to the age of 18 years, is estimated to be 0.5% of the population. Uh-huh. Where early onset, which is 13 and under, has been estimated to be 0.04% of the United States. So that's not even 1% of the population. Yep. Yeah. That is what I remember. I was like, if I remembered it, I was just like, that's very odd for anyone under the age of 18. Because that's when first break psychosis tends to happen is in that like college age years, which is why that was something we were always told, like, you need to be, you need to watch for that, especially in the 18 to 22 year old bracket. But also women tend to be diagnosed later. So it's like Mm -hmm. super, Mm -hmm. super rare. Because I mean, for men, I think it is going to be in like the college age, but women, it's sometimes after college. Mm. I mean, I learned something. Yeah, I mean, this is not my forte, but I mean, I remember, and I'm watching this documentary, and then the dad actually talks about how he has had hallucinations and delusions on and off his whole life that he had to try to, like, differentiate between, like, what was reality and stuff, but, I mean, 
it's so rare and so uncommon that I was so thrown off by kind of like this idea that she had schizophrenia. I mean, I, but also when you observe these, I really recommend watching this if you wanted a true crime documentary. It's kind of unsettling, actually. Just mm-hmm. watching these two like 12 year olds discuss stabbing their friend. Um, Anyways. I can imagine it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No. And that's why I went this route, which is why I think I was able to go faster with my case today, because I I think that my whole thing was it wasn't so much the background and even like the relationship. It was kind of like what ended up happening here. And I think the personality traits that came out too, I was like, wow, this is so unique. So anyways. Okay, so Morgan Geyser's lawyers, they cut a deal. She pled guilty to first attempted first-degree intentional homicide, and then they agreed to not challenge her insanity defense. She was sentenced to 40-year commitment in a state institution. Um, but Wisconsin law actually states that an individual over 10 years of age can be tried as an adult in an attempted murder case. What? Yep, yep. And both the girls were actually charged with first-degree attempted intentional homicide. So um, Weir was also found to not be guilty by mental disease. Um, And, yeah. Yep. Oh, boy. Huh? So um, they're both being held at the Winnebago Mental Health Institute in Wisconsin. Mm. Um, because they both said that they were trying to appease Slenderman. So Slenderman is a fictional entity created on the Something Awful online forums for a 2009 Photoshop paranormal image contest. So this is straight from Wikipedia. So basically people, and, and from what I was getting from reading more about Slenderman, is that a lot of, not just people, I'm going to say children and teens were connecting with him because he was kind of like this weird... And I'm like blanking on the term, but he was kind of like the bad guy, but also he was like good to you if you were good to him. Uh, I think think a lot of people from like a mob boss. Yeah, but also like broken homes. Like, you know, if you wanted a protector, like if you kill somebody for Slender Man, Slender Man will take you away to his mansion and you can live with him. Right. I remember that part because I was like, what is the appeal here? What is the lore? Yeah, I think that there was like some weird dark like wanting to be a part of something dark but also maybe this thing of not belonging and having this fictional character that could also like once you give him your sacrifice and you prove that you are you know good enough for him or whatever he will take you away to the mansion and I think these two girls didn't seem like they fit in very well or that they were very happy and I think both of them seem to have some mental illness as well and and that is what I seem to find with Slender Man like it wasn't just like this dark character it was also you know the goodness in the dark like okay there were some pictures that i'd seen i cannot remember which girl drew them but she had um jack from a nightmare before christmas yeah i knew where you're going man in like the same picture which i think huh i don't know about you but like for me like i've also always liked halloween related things and and i've always kind of liked the you know the the characters that are dark but have good hearts like snape right (laughs) And I, and yeah, I, no, uh, you're you're right. You're right. That Jack Skellington character, Snape, like the initially you would kind of be, but you know, like the layers of it's layered and complex. I think we could do a character study on a lot of these things. Yes. Yeah, and I and I think that like when you are feeling isolated, like these two girls did, I think that that is something they could connect with. You know, and I and I'm not going to comment on like some of the weird behaviors because uh, I think that. 
schizophrenia could come up in a lot of different ways. Like I even, so really briefly, early symptoms and signs could be language delays, late or unusual crawling, late walking, other abnormal motor behaviors. Um, in teenagers, it could be withdrawal from friends and family, a drop in performance at school, trouble sleeping, irritability or depressed mood, lack of motivation, strange behavior, substance use. Um, and compared with schizophrenia symptoms in adults, teens may be less likely to have delusions and more likely to have visual hallucinations. Um, and then there's something else I wanted to get into this. So uh, usually hallucinations are much more common than delusions in youth with schizophrenia as compared to adults. And the most common hallucinations are auditory with comments or commands to the kids. They're often accompanied by visual and tactile hallucinations. Um, well, the last quote I really wanted to read here is, although hallucinations are more common, they are least likely to be reported. Many youths may not to close this um, auditory hallucinations since they're scared the voices may harm them and there may be delusions associated with it such as the voices tell me that they'll kill me if I talk to anyone about it so and, and the reason I don't want to get into like this exact diagnosis or like what's going on there is because when I was kind of observing her one of the first things that I always go to especially with children who have maybe are displaying symptoms that could be off or like maybe PTSD or maybe some kind of like spectrum disorder too where mm -hmm. I'm like I can't quite tell what's going on there. And I think that that actually is the way that we are supposed to go. Um, mm -hmm. because Bigger than smaller. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and But these things could be confused with schizophrenia too because I really went on this dive of like, would you not know if your child had schizophrenia? Like, would this not be more clear, you know? But then when I was looking a little bit deeper, I went, okay, you know, maybe not. And then even if like a mental health professional saw them, like seeing a kid that was withdrawn and maybe like a little bit more creative, didn't have a lot of friends, like you could also chalk that up to maybe like just regular teenage changes mm -hmm. and ebbs and flows and like their emotional state too. Irritability, yeah. the aggression, the, the withdrawing. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really, really interesting. And I mean, I, I mean, the, the, the baseline for this is that you have to get a history and you have to know and you have to like have your children see a mental health provider. But yeah, I'm sorry. I really tried to go very fast with this case, but I mean, no, I think it's interesting. I mean, it's, I think it's really interesting, especially that specific type of psychosis especially schizophrenia you're talking about first break early onset very unusual very out of norm for a lot of folks so there are a lot of universities that do have studies for that like I know Pitt definitely has one I think UPMC has another one like there are a couple in the Pittsburgh area that I know of that have come and been like hey you work with college age kids like here are some things so if you're hearing this and you're like I know someone who knows someone who knows someone like maybe look into those academic resources because they might have things that are a little outside the box, but could be a good resource. But I mean, it's very, very hard to treat. Oh, yes. Um, anything that's schizoaffective, obviously, these are um, very hard to treat. Uh, there's low compliance rates. Uh, yep. There's also not a ton of specialists, you know, like mm -hmm. my first client I think coming out of grad school with no experience as like a therapist on my own I was working at a community clinic and I remember somebody coming in and telling me about seeing like shadow figures telling him to do things in his room and you know it's like that that isn't doesn't have it shouldn't be treated by like a 24 year old in a mental health setting with her first case you know that is not an appropriate place because this is something that needs to be treated with like a treatment treat treatment team possibly in some type of like residential setting because 
this is a person that can tell if this was reality or not. You know, and if reality is uh, telling you that you shouldn't be taking medication, you shouldn't be trusting people, like, you know, honestly, moral of the story is this is a very, very complicated diagnosis. And I thought that this was so interesting that this is what they think happened or triggered this event. And then you had this, like, secondary person in here who maybe became more susceptible because of it because of the mm-hmm. mental illness mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I just that was the way I went with it and I mean I'm so glad because also my brain is going with what you were talking about with like the relational aggression too where I'm like yeah I also kind of wonder if that was underlying too like they saw her as like the third party Other. yeah mm-hmm. yeah like slightly different than them and she was maybe gonna exit the group eventually because mm-hmm. um Bella is also quoted later as saying like you know she felt like she knew like that the other girl was like a little bit weird and like maybe she was like changing and stuff too. So I wonder if that was like, they noticed the first signs of her severing the relationship and then they, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Ah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but okay. Mine ended okay. Both of the girls are in mental health facilities. They both want to be out. They've both requested appeals. They've said they've learned everything that they need to learn. They're stable now. They won't kill anybody. Um, But but honestly, yeah. That's how it works. Yeah, well, they're saying like, oh, you wanted us to like learn how to manage our behaviors and whatever. And we do both feel bad about it. And they've both tried to um, get their sentences reduced. But um, I don't think I didn't see a single update that said that that had happened. And then, you know, the victim here actually turned this around and she's like, I want to go to med school and help people. And I mean, I'm glad that I was able to end on this. Also, when I was watching this documentary and I didn't know anything about the Slenderman case really either, I kept going, did she pass away? I thought she she did. did. That's why I was just like, oh. Yeah, and she didn't, thankfully. It was awesome. I was so happy, yeah. That's a good case. That's a good one. Yeah, I hope I didn't go too fast, but... um, Oh, that was good. Good. Yay! Oh, that's our time now? I think so. I think so. Well, great cases, and... uh, Bye! Bye!